So let's read together from Ruth as we come to chapter 3. I did promise to move a little quick, more quickly than we have. Uh, so perhaps I, I might. I know I should, but perhaps I might. This is our seventh study, and I've only just started chapter 3. Verse 1, one day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, that is to Ruth, of course, my daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself. And put on your best clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned, and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character, Although it is true that I am a near, uh, near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could recognize her. And she said, he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her. And added, he gave me this, these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This is God's word. May God bless his word to our hearts tonight. I want us to pray briefly. Uh, as we pray, I uh, do want to uh, ask for further prayer for, for Dowie and Maggie Hughes. Um, Dowie, of course, has been too poorly to celebrate the special anniversary these last number of days. And 
it does seem clear that uh, it's only a matter of time before the Lord calls Dowie home. Difficult for us, of course. We will miss him. The family, I'm sure, will find it very difficult, very desperate. But wonderful for Dowie to be away from his body is to be at home with his Lord, which is better by far. Let's pray that the Lord might uh, ease the transition for him and welcome him into his immediate presence. And for the family, that grace upon grace might cover them at this time. Father God Almighty, we stand with this family at this difficult time. Notwithstanding, Father, your ability to raise Dowie up, but it does seem that perhaps his time to go home is nigh. What a wonderful thing this is. The child of God going home to his loving Heavenly Father. We do pray for him and ask that uh, he might be pain free. We pray that he might not be distressed or finding it uh, uncomfortable. And grant him a sense of your presence. Ease this transition into your loving arms. For Maggie and, and the family there. Uh, it's desperate for them in so many ways. And so we pray for them. Father, you have promised to comfort the widow. A husband indeed. I will be a husband to the widow. Father, we pray that you might be just that to this family. Comfort them. And help them to be conscious of your loving arms. Just uplifting them. And embracing them. At this difficult time. As we pray for this dear family, we would ask your blessing upon Janet and the family as they mourn uh, the, the passing of, of a loved one equally these days for dear Ray's passing. We ask, Lord, that they might be conscious equally of your presence. We're also conscious, Father, of others that need your touch, body, soul, and mind. And we bless you, Father, that you are a God who is able Able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or even imagine. So we not move in hearts and lives in these days. And provide the touch that is necessary for them. As we spend some moments in the word. Lord, we're eager to hear what the spirit has to say. To this church today. We're not interested in the opinions of uh, a man. Rather, Lord, we long to hear what God is saying in the inner man. Unstop our ears. Soften our hearts. Might we be the recipients of that divine word tonight. A word that is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, therefore of necessity upon receipt. A word that will change our lives. We're ready for it, Lord. That's why we gather in this manner. <laughs> that we might leave different from the way we came in.
changed. For thy kingdom's sake. Amen. I suspect tonight's sermon should come with a public health warning. I suspect that because for theologians, this text is a wonderful text to sojourn in. It's full of theological prowess and, and metaphor and allegory and, and meaning. And, and boy, we could just spend so many wonderful hours together tonight. Contemplating the dynamics of, of the Old Testament uh, fundamentals concerning the Levir, for instance. For those theologians amongst us, Levir is a, a, a word from the Latin Vulgate that translates a, hum, a, a Hebrew word for brother-in-law. For the, for the Orthodox Jew, it was expected of the brother-in-law, subsequent to the passing of his brother, his sibling, who perhaps had died without having children, to marry his sister-in-law. And with her, birth children, not for his own sake, but for the sake of his brother, who was deceased. The, the Levere dynamic. It's fascinating. Equally, we could spend time exploring the, the dynamic called Goal. Not goal. Goal. G-O-E-L. This is a, a word of Hebrew derivation that's used to speak of a near kinsman, not the Levir, but a kinsman not as close as a brother-in-law, but a near kinsman who will act as a redeemer for persons and for property. So we could delve into these theological dynamics that have their heart in the Old Testament with, of course, New Testament application. I won't do that because I can see you glazing over already. I want to note a couple of things, if I may. Firstly, I can't read this text without... Noting Naomi's loving leadership. How we need in our churches today leaders like Naomi. Leaders with holy initiative. Whose convictions in Christ are so strong that they are able to influence others to follow their lead regardless of the absurdness of the request made or the direction taken. Without question, Naomi's request of Ruth, at first reading at least, was absurd. Very difficult. But God raised up leaders in our church who are so strong of conviction that people will follow them regardless of the apparent absurdness of the request. People are always looking, it seems to me, for men and women who are absolutely sure People will follow these people. 
Those that know without doubt what it is that the God is doing, where it is that God is leading. These men and women of God who, who are abandoned to the purposes of God, who are plowing on in the will of God. Good Christian leaders. May God raise up Naomi's within the confines of the Christian church in these days. Naomi's leadership of influence over Ruth is evident in chapter 3, isn't it? We don't read of Ruth questioning Naomi's logic or or, or Naomi's intelligence or, or Naomi's leadership at all. Rather, we read of Ruth's trust in her leadership. And when God raises up leaders like Naomi, it is not difficult, therefore, for Christian men and women to trust in that leadership. Even though that leadership might ask them to walk the valley of the shadow of, of suffering or of, or of pain or even perhaps of death. Trust. In spite of the absurdness of Naomi's request of Ruth, the text, I believe, makes it clear that at the heart of this request was Naomi's desire for, for Ruth's very, very, very best. Way back in chapter 1, verse 11, Naomi wanted the best for Ruth, subsequent to her becoming a widow. Uh, And whilst the situation in Moab didn't look good, at least now, there appears to be somebody on the scene with whom Naomi might link Ruth and develop a relationship that will give her a future. And so whilst the request of Ruth is absurd, at the heart of it, there is in Naomi a desire for Ruth's very, very best. Would you agree? There's nothing quite like making your intentions absolutely clear, is there? And the request of Ruth was that she might make her intentions Absolutely clear. That challenges me. This is one of my tangents I'm coming to. It challenges me. How often, when we make requests of God, for instance, that were somewhat ambiguous in those requests, a little wishy-washy. It's true, isn't it? We're perhaps afraid to be precise just in case God doesn't answer. And so we're a little ambiguous about what we ask God for. No ambiguity here in the text. Naomi's coaching of Ruth and Ruth's obedience to that coaching meant that there was absolutely no ambiguity, no uncertainty. Ruth was making her intentions towards Boaz, the near kinsman, absolutely clear. Oft times we don't have from God because we don't ask the way we ought. You make general requests, then the likelihood is 
God will answer in general ways. How different it could have been for Ruth if on this occasion there was, a, there was an element of ambiguity as to what she was actually desiring, what she actually needed. How different it could have been. Fatal perhaps even. Now she was making her intentions absolutely clear. As Naomi says, dress, put on perfume, your best clothes. That's how it ought to be. As we come back from my tangent, that's how it ought to be. My friends, let's not be ambiguous. Of each other. And certainly not of God. And if we desire something of Him, then... God desires our very best. Does he not? And according to his will and his perfect will for our lives, then if we ask, then it shall be given to us. Seek and we shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto us. For anyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to the one to whom the knocks, the door is opened. So we have, right at the beginning here, Ruth's extraordinary leadership and her ability to guide, name was leadership rather, her ability to guide Ruth in a path that seems on the surface absolutely ludicrous. I wonder, if God were to, to speak with you and I tonight, Asking us to to walk a path that on the surface seems ludicrous, absurd. How would we react? I wonder whether we would react with the courageous loyalty Ruth reacted. I have to admit, this is my second point. I'm not very homiletical tonight. I had so many, so many notes that... um, As you can see, homiletics went out the window. I have to admit that in the past, I have been asked by certain Christian leaders under whose authority I had come to do some seemingly pretty silly things. I remember when I went to the Faith Mission Bible College in Edinburgh, being asked by the principal of the college and, and the evangelistic team there to, to rather than settle down for bed at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night, to, to get dressed and go out on an evangelistic team. 11 o'clock on a Saturday night in Princess Street in Edinburgh. I have to say, I thought it was quite bizarre. Quite strange. Why on earth would, would my superiors ask me to do such a ludicrous thing? Don't they know the kinds of people that might well indeed frequent Princess Street in, in Edinburgh in, in those late hours? Well, exactly. They did. Strange request. Sometimes directly or maybe through his, his faithful servants, God asks Asks absurd things of us. How do you respond? Do we respond like Ruth? Yes, without question. Yes. Without query. Yes. 
Or are we reticent? Do we hesitate? Do we um, spend time discussing things with the Holy Spirit just to make sure that, that God actually knows what he's doing? Perhaps he doesn't. <laughs> I can't stress enough just how dangerous Naomi's request of Ruth was. It could have turned out really awfully for her. And I think you mature folk get the point. She was putting herself in an extraordinarily vulnerable position. And if the kinsman redeemer, or perhaps somebody else on the threshing floor that night, misread the situation, or perhaps if some other man had got the high in spirits before Boaz did, then I think you can guess how it may well have turned out. This was extraordinarily difficult for Ruth. But you see, she trusted Naomi's leadership. She trusted her guidance. She trusted her counsel. And she was prepared, as I understand the text and the context, to put her life at risk. Is that where we're at? It's God asking something of us and fundamentally it seems it seems like a risk. Well, I'm looking lovingly at you all tonight and I pray that God will make this a room full of Epaphroditus's, if that's a word. What's the plural of Epaphroditus? Epaphroditi? Epaphroditus, of course, is introduced to us in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul. A play on words, quite interestingly, in the Greek. Epaphroditus, if you were to translate the name, means to, 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 to make a risk. Paul says he risked his life for the sake of me and the gospel. Now, of course, in the final analysis, there's no risk in the will and purpose of God, is there? But Epaphroditus risked his life for the sake of Paul and his gospel. Might God make us a church of, uh, full of those who are like Epaphroditus? When God is calling us to do something extraordinarily difficult, it will expose us, it will challenge us. Make us like Ruth, Lord. Yes. Anywhere, any place, any time, any cost. Yes, Lord. And Ruth went, as Naomi had said, with extraordinary courage, with extraordinary loyalty. She made her intentions absolutely clear. And we have this extraordinary picture there that night on the threshing floor. Boaz, after his celebration, the harvest, we understand, had been good. <laughs> no wonder he was celebrating. We there was a there was a famine in the in the same land, wasn't there? Not long since. The harvest had been good. God had come to the aid of his people, and Boaz was celebrating. He was in high spirits, and he went on to the threshing floor, and Ruth in obedience, she in a sense exposed herself in an extraordinary way.
As Boaz was asleep, we read that Ruth crept onto the threshing floor close to him. And I love this. She lay down at his feet. What a beautiful picture. I might be reading into the text a little. Forgive me if I am. Preacher's license. She lay down at his feet. It speaks to me of humility. Yes? She lay at his feet. Humility. It speaks to me of a place of supplication. Doesn't it? This is where Ruth finds herself. A place of extraordinary humility. But a place of extraordinary supplication. And she made her request. As God stirred Boaz in the middle of the night. And what was the request? Well, it was a request for marriage. No question about that. She used a language that Boaz would have understood. Take the corner of your blanket and cover me. How precious is that? It's it's allegorical language, I grant you. But I believe Boaz would have understood it. It's a language that was conversant amongst the Jews themselves. We find the same imagery of of Yahweh towards his people of the southern kingdom of Judah and Jerusalem in Ezekiel chapter 16. God says, later I passed by and when I looked at you, I saw that you were old enough for love. I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. How precious. Ah, there was a rest for Ruth. I, uh, I need another hour and a half. Let me, let us come down to a landing. For tonight at least. As we meditate afresh upon this extraordinary Old Testament imagery. You see, Ruth understood at this juncture that Boaz was a, a levir. Well, more than that, a gohel. He actually wasn't a levir, strictly speaking, because he wasn't the nearest of kin. There was another, and we will read later of him. But a gohel, he was prepared to redeem Ruth. He was prepared to marry her and, and therefore have children for Ruth's husband. And of course for Naomi. She understood that. And so she made this step of faith. For her, Boaz was her future. Without Boaz there was no future. There was no inheritance. And so she understood that. And she then went to, 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 the, to his feet in humility. And supplication. My friends, when the penny drops and we suddenly realize that actually Jesus, Jesus, he's my kinsman redeemer. Jesus, the last Adam, who though in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, made himself like you and I as a human being. Jesus, 
Our near kinsman of the flesh. The last Adam. When the penny drops and we realize that Jesus and Jesus alone is our last and only hope. Then with great risk. We will lie prostrate at his feet, so to speak. In humility. And supplication. And we'll cry, Jesus. Cover me with a corner of your garment. Cover my nakedness with your robes of salvation. We read, of course, do we not in the text, that Boaz did just that. (gasps) Can you imagine the release that Ruth must have felt? Can you imagine? Not sure we can. But oh, the release, the relief when we come to the foot of the cross. The, the, the release and the relief when we <laughs> sojourn in the shadow of Jesus' feet, so to speak, and we supplicate and we cry, Jesus, cover me with your garments of salvation, your robes of righteousness, cover my nakedness. And our kinsman redeemer. My friends. He will do just that. Oh yes. Jesus has never turned anyone away. Jesus has never been too busy to save the lost. Hallelujah. This wonderful picture. So it's a story of. Extraordinary leadership. May God raise up leaders like Naomi in these days. May God raise up followers like Ruth in these days. And may God bring us to the foot of the cross of Christ. Our kinsman redeemer. Our near relative if you like, born of the flesh, God incarnate, incomprehensibly made man. That as we sojourn there and offer our requests, He covers our nakedness. He cleanses us of our sin. He purges us of our evil. And just as Boaz with Ruth, Ruth with Boaz, we are welcomed into the family of God. Oh, what a salvation this is.